Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Chicago, Illinois, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and in the studio with me is my good friend and co-host, Lee Canter, Lee, uh, we're kind of on the back side of this whole thing today, aren't we? I know. This has uh, been a great day. Learned a lot. Have you had a good time? I know you, you had to enjoy the, the whole uh, segment around the improv and the comedy yeah, that was and all that stuff. I like to see how that works together. Well, you're going to like this one too, man. This is going to be a fantastic segment. We have with us uh, Administrator Clinical and Organizational Development uh, for the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, Miss Diana Halfer. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, that is, sounds like a very big job and certainly an important job. Tell us a little bit about your role and what you're trying to get done day to day out there. Okay, so my role is I'm responsible for hospital-wide education. So that includes all new employee orientation and training, it includes um, safety and regulatory training. It includes quality improvement training. It includes hospital. Do you know all this stuff? Or you got to go find people that know it and just, it, it, I mean, no, that sounds like a lot of topics. All kidding aside, that's a lot of material. Um, so I lead the department, and I have a number of people who uh, know. Smart people. <laughs> smart people who know how <laughs> to teach go. it. <laughs> So now, are there any unique challenges in the healthcare industry? The, um, yes, uh, just a couple. Um, have you heard of Obamacare? <laughs> I've heard it on the news maybe once or twice. Yeah, so it's causing a dramatic uh, impact for healthcare and big impact on quality and making sure you are value-driven. So, But that's good uh, for the learning and development team, right? Because that's good job security. Uh, yes, it is very good <laughs> job security. You're set from that standpoint. <laughs> right. You might not can afford your medical bills, but you're set from that standpoint. Yeah, a lot of change in transition, right. so that all has implications for, for you, education. Right? right, right. Tremendous. So anything special that you do to, it, it kind of goes to that whole bit about the, the cobbler's kid having good shoes or whatever that saying is. What kinds of things do you do to keep your own people engaged and, and, and continue to be fired up about providing learning and development and that kind of thing? Um, we do a number of things. Um, you know, we have um, ongoing meetings where we introduce education and we mm -hmm. talk about the initiatives that they're supporting. Um, we have our own department kind of work group that provides education for the entire team. You know, they we do our own needs analysis and right. develop training for our own team based on that. And our uh, staff members love to um, present at conferences, so that's professional development, to talk about what we do and share it nationally. So um, we have a number of different ways that they develop themselves. Now, how do you, because you, as you mentioned, there's so much change happening in healthcare in general, how do you decide what is the next learning that has to be accomplished? Like, how do you prioritize and then disseminate the information so um, it's all driven by corporate goals. Mm -hmm. So we know what our strategic initiatives are, and we get involved with the leaders early on in planning when education will occur. So that starts driving um, what our calendar looks like for the year. I would say our biggest challenge with that 
is um, because we support multiple executives across the organization is um, they might have different priorities well and the timing of it might be <laughs> at the same that. time oh wow so that <laughs> yeah. puts a lot of stress on your department right it does and so we're getting very good at project management mm -hmm. communication and working with our executive team to as a partnership like where you're working together to achieve a, this common goal absolutely and you do have a seat at the table though so you can have some say in prioritizing oh i do through a number of different ways um i do attend um periodically the executive meetings when it comes to initiatives and training mm -hmm. um, but we also have our internal governance structure so we have meetings with our administrative leads across the organization to talk about educational initiatives that are coming up so that we can plan and coordinate efforts. Probably there is an impact for us as an education department, but I get more concerned about our employees and physicians right. that they don't um, get overloaded with a lot of education and change all at one time. Right. So you got to kind of parse it out in a, exactly. in a manageable manner. Absolutely. I, I would think it would be a real challenge to manage a learning environment uh, or a function like this in an organization that uh, that has the clinical side to it, it, probably very heavily regulated, I'm imagining, and a great deal of compliance associated with it. And then the other kind of training and development that a lot more of us are more familiar with that haven't worked in the healthcare community, do you find that you have to hire different kinds of instructional designers and trainers, or you have to have a different methodology for designing the clinical training than the other training? Or? We do a combination of two things. So we have um, some individuals that are clinical educators. So they train, but they also know the content. So ex an example of that would be our nursing educators. They know the um, how to orient a nurse, how to train a nurse to her job. They know all the clinical equipment that we use, the sophisticated cardiophysiological monitors. And there's no wing in that stuff. I mean, there is a way to do a lot there of that is, stuff, right? There is definitely a way. And, <laughs> right. and uh, of course, you want to teach it correctly. Um, so, so we have that type of individual on our team. Um, but we also have individuals that are in, instructional designers by background. And then they'll work with experts within the hospital to develop courses or training, whatever needs to be done. So we do a combination of both, where we have actually what you would say the subject matter expert who teaches, and then we have the learning development specialists who partner with those um, experts to, to teach. Now, is there ever an opportunity, like say um, the hospital purchases a new piece of equipment, does that vendor become part of the learning process to, mm. you know, to teach how to properly use that? How does, how does that get integrated in? Uh, absolutely. So especially some of our very high-tech equipment. Right, or, I would imagine. Our and, medical or imaging equipment. Or there's like equipment. an upgrade to some system. Then the vendors will often come in and do the initial training, and we'll do a train-the-trainer uh -huh. So they're training somebody, and your staff and that person is then training the employees? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But you have to work pretty closely I would imagine with them we do um, they we usually review the materials that they're going to use for training they come on site mm -hmm. especially with equipment a lot of that is hands-on training right. and return demonstration so um, yeah so we have frequent rollouts uh, IV pump replacements right uh, uh, we have smart pumps that um, can uh, medicate 
properly. You can just. Is this new? I, I would say within the last five years, uh-huh. everything's gone high tech with medication delivery. And the delivery of the training, although some of the upfront stuff may be very uh, intensive and belly to belly, for lack of a better term, you know, eye to eye training, where where we're training, do do even some of those things now have uh, technology facilitated supplemental training through through other devices, the phones, the tablets, the computer. Is there, there's more and more, more blended learning every year too, right? Oh, we do a tremendous amount of blended learning. So, I mean, we do uh, e-learning uh, delivery distribution. We'll combine that with the, you know, deliver the content maybe online and then do a hands-on lab. We do um, simulation where we will um, bring our staff, our teams, our physicians, our doctors, our technicians into a lab with a highly sophisticated mannequin that is programmed for heart rate, respiratory Mm -hmm. rate. You can even make them talk. So we'll run scenarios and we'll have our team walk through those scenarios, especially high-risk situations like an acute medical emergency. So we do a number of things um, from simple, straightforward e-learning delivery to very high-tech simulations. Mm -hmm. The simulation to me would be fascinating. In a former life, I had an opportunity to design and execute a little bit of what we would call simulations. But what if you could have a mannequin that would be like a that would act like a prospect, you know, and lie to you, right? <laughs> Kevin's over here laughing. Right? Sales, sales, right? It's like a sales a sales prospect <laughs> mannequin. That's what I want to see invented. But no, it's marvelous that we had that in the healthcare arena because you can set up so many scenarios respond to it and give these uh, practitioners an opportunity to to practice in a in a in a safe environment so our new job roles new titles new functions that maybe you didn't even have five six years ago they're starting to emerge too right like you you might have to put somebody in charge of internal social media or external there's new jobs like gotta design computery training so uh, we do. Is that what you call it at your shop? Computery training? Yeah, that's yeah uh, right. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's great. We're not. Uh, we're just starting to get into that space with um, social media. Right. I mean, we have um, some collaborative tools like uh, SharePoint sure. uh, that we can bring people together on. Uh-huh. Uh, but we haven't totally merged into that social media yet. We'd like to. I think it's it's on the horizon, but Mm -hmm. we're not quite there yet. Um, What I do see that we're doing is more for our physicians. Our physicians now in healthcare are becoming more integrated within the hospital. And um, so we do have a new role um, called the Director for Physician Consulting Services. And this is new, actually, in the health field. All he does is coaching with physicians. And when you look at physicians, they're, you know, they're rocket scientists. They're brilliant but they haven't had a lot of um, experience with managing and leading teams for effective teamwork. And so yeah, the coach... So some of these softer skills are necessary, where, right? Where yeah. They're, they're more the, people... More people-focused. Right. And so this is a coach that helps them <laughs> be effective leaders. And that job didn't exist, right? That, that jo- job didn't exist. And so how do you build learning for that? Well, you take what um, you've already done for um, leadership development in the rest of the organization. It's the same concepts. Physicians wrestle with time management just like the rest of us. They're even more pressured with all their commitments. Mm -hmm. For uh, In our setting, they're um, 
academics. They teach. They do research. They see patients. So they're juggling multiple roles, and they need tips on time management just like the rest of us. Right. Um, and they also, um, you know, they tend to be perfectionistic. So they need tips on dealing with perfectionism. So we want them to be perfectionistic when they're doing their clinical care, right. but it doesn't work so well when, when they're, they're managing right. people. So, right. right, it doesn't work. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did it all begin before you got involved with, with this work, or have you always done this kind of work? So I grew up in healthcare. Um, I did. So I, I've been working in healthcare since I was in high school. My first job was in a pediatrician's office um, as a cashier. Uh, and, you know, I've always done a variety of things in healthcare. I am a nurse by background. And uh, I went on to get my master's and started teaching at a college, nursing in a college program. Then I took a job in healthcare management and things kind of evolved. And I began to you know, opportunities came available where I merged my management and my teaching skills, and that got me to where I am today. And, uh, you know, the needs just kept growing, and, you know, the education department just kept growing. So we used to have a very distributed education department, and Mm -hmm. now we're centralized for greater efficiency and effectiveness. Now, do you miss the patient interactions? Um, I don't have to go far to interact with patients. So you can do it if you want to, Well, you can go visit the mannequin. (laughs) Well, I do more than visit the mannequin, but, you know, uh, our kids are all over the hospital, and their siblings are all over the hospital, Mm -hmm. so we interact daily on the elevators, just walking past families, helping them out. So, And if I really missed it, I can go up to the uh, patient care units and go visit my colleagues there delivering care, and they would be happy to let me uh, help out. (laughs) Now, an operation like that, a hospital like that, it's uh, funded at least partially by philanthropic effort. Uh, Where where does the money come from? So uh, the money comes from multiple sources, uh, including our patients and families and third-party payers. Um, So that's a big component of the revenue stream. We do have um, philanthropy. We have a foundation. And they often help us do some of the um, exciting things that you wouldn't be able to do just off of your normal patient revenue stream. So, like, uh, what's an example of an exciting thing? Well, um, actually, a, a wonderful philanthropist uh, jump started our high tech simulation lab. He, right, he so they can make a donation to purchase to a specific, certain specific equipment. Right, so that maybe you would have taken years to accumulate the funds to do or, it otherwise. Or it would have, you know, we would have had to figure out how to, uh, you know, you have to pull somewhere else right. to get the money to to get it jump started. But he got us jump started, and now we're sustaining it. So, you know, we are dependent on philanthropy. They help us with research. Mm-hmm. You know, we are an academic medical center, so many of us do research. I do research, uh, and they help fund research. So, all of those are activities that we're dependent on philanthropy for, mm-hmm. and our foundation helps us. We have a. Um, You know, even for our patients and families to do some very um, wonderful things, we have a very highly interactive patient education uh, system uh, that's in every patient room, and we actually get some philanthropic funding to support that through our, you know, our partners, our um, uh, uh, so it's uh, it's a way that we can support our patients and families with making their stay at the hospital so much better. 
So, um, you know, this interactive system, they can go on, they can play games, they can go out to the Internet, they can keep connected by email with their friends all from their bed, you know. It's, you know. It's like a smart board. It's like a, it's like a television hooked up to the Internet. Wow. Yeah. I guess I haven't been hurt in a while, or anybody <laughs> around me hasn't been because that all sounds very high-tech and, and, and very nice. It, it is. Because it is. you have to, in, in today's world, don't you, it's more competitive, right? So you have to um, have these kind of services to attract patients to choose your hospital, right? Well, you you want we want to have a, I mean, by the nature of our clientele, I mean, it's all children and right. their parents. You know, we want to make the stay when they have to be in the hospital. Um, it, we want to have distractions. And this right, is a yeah. distraction, you know, to get them away from whatever reason they're there, whether it be for surgery or treatment, um, uh, you know, of a medical condition. These are distractions that help with that. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the future holds for healthcare in general? Not a small question. I know we could do the whole day on that. Um, and what can Lee do about it? <laughs> so um, I, I think the future for healthcare is going to be all around improving quality. I think Obamacare is going to drive that. You know, I, it causes you to take a step back and I think every company needs to do that you know look at your processes can you do them better can you do them more cost effectively mm -hmm. and um, that's all good in the long run it right. cuts down I mean healthcare is one of the the biggest um, growing costs nationwide sure. right? right you know we're yeah. all paying more for health insurance right so if there's more external pressure to really look at your processes you do because isn't there something with, um, like, reimbursements for an outcome? It's more outcome-based? It is, and that's where healthcare is going. Uh, instead of getting paid fee-for-service, so getting paid for every surgery or every treatment that you deliver, you get paid for um, tr care of a, 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 a disease. So mm -hmm. I'll give an example, like asthma. You know, 10% of the children in the city of Chicago have asthma. 10%. 10%. Wow. So you, um, you know, you look at treatment and in a hospital admission, you want to keep those kids out of the hospital, right? right. So that is where healthcare is going, is managing the care to keep kids out of the hospital for costly admission. So that means you teach that child how to take their medications, use their inhalers, um, to stay away, you teach because that their compliance will affect the outcome. Their compliance right? will definitely affect their outcome if they don't take their medications. There's nothing, no matter how great your care was. Then they might have an asthmatic attack and be in our emergency department and be admitted to the hospital. But so you might not necessarily be reimbursed for that because that was like kind of a failed outcome, right? Well, if you get uh, a fee for managing a patient population, then all that is within that fee. So if you don't do preventative care, right, then it's more costly for you. So then it's it's good to implement something that would help that child or the parent of that child help keep the child compliant it, to invest in that side to, of the equation, right? Yes, to invest in preventative right. measures versus um, treatment measures. So now this is causing, I would guess, a rethinking of how you kind of operate in a lot of ways, right? It is. In fact, um, we have a number of initiatives, and we have one with the state in managing chronically ill children where mm -hmm. we're going to be looking at 
um, community partnerships in helping um, care for that child, working with physicians in their practices to really um, look at what we can do to support the child in their home to avoid right. an admission into the hospital. Are, is there any uh, like telemedicine or is there some interactivity? There's a, there's a lot of telemedicine, not into the home yet, but with other providers. Mm -hmm. So they will consult with us via telemedicine. We can view. Because that way you can reach outlying areas. At, uh, well, you we can, can go to Doc Johnson's. And if Doc Johnson doesn't know anything about asthma, he can still talk to the asthma guy at Lurie Children's. Right. There you go. Yeah. So we do that. We do that a lot with radiology where mm -hmm. kids will get x-rays at distant hospitals in the um, suburbs. Wow. And we can, and the physician needs to consult with our medical imaging doctors and they can read the x-ray and let them know. Without um, having to travel. Without having to travel. Wow. Best way to. So That's the innovation is not going to stop, and your long-term uh, view on the financially stuff is pretty optimistic, actually. I mean, you, you recognize we probably have a little bit of a bumpy road in the, in the near term, but you think long-term that's going to get figured out too, don't you? I do. I actually do, yeah. and I think it's going to be good for health care, and I think it's going to be good for all for of us patients, as consumers right. of health care. Right. Um, but, you know, it's always that transition that's the, the rough spot, right? And that's right. where education, education comes, comes in. in. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so uh, where are you going to be investing your energy for the next, I don't know, year, year and a half? You got any special projects you're going to put a lot of your personal energy in? Yeah, we do. We have a number of them. Um, we are, have you heard of electronic medical records? Sure. Yeah, can't so. find mine, but yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So um, we are all, you know, we've completely moved from paper records to electronic medical records, and now we are helping our physicians do the same uh -huh. in their practices. So that's uh, that means we're going out into the community and training physicians and their office staff as they convert from paper records to electronic medical how, records. How long did it take you guys to make that conversion? Uh, it was, I, I'm thinking, looking back, it was probably about a three-year process mm -hmm. until you get the entire hospital, sure. all settings done. Uh, for a physician office practice, we get them up and running in three months. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of paper to go through. It's well, it's a lot, a lot of paper that's going away, hopefully, right. uh, eventually. But um, it does then help with communication and coordination because now they're linked into our systems and right now it, you're all using the same stuff. So then they it, don't have their way and you have your way. And we can communicate around treatments and um, tests and. Uh, and they have direct access to that information if the family approves and gives permission. So that provides tremendous efficiencies. And so the family has more and better access. And the doctors, I can go from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they're all looking at the same body of information. Yeah. That is, that's the goal. That's what we'd like to get to. And eventually, you know, nationally, you know, in healthcare, they're trying to get all these electronic medical record systems to be able to talk to each other. Because right. there are different vendors that uh, deliver electronic medical records. So that'll be a longer term national goal. But short term, we're, we're working with a local vendor in Wisconsin, um, Epic, that has been implemented in most of the area hospitals here in Chicago. Well, I can tell you right now for where I am in my life and maybe you as well, Lee, I, I'm, I'm in between now. I've got, I've got kids and I certainly want to be able to provide for them. But my parents are, you know, in, in another 10 years or so, 
what I don't want is I don't want all these disparate records in different places where one doctor doesn't really know what the other doctor is doing. And we're, you know, we're going from the eye doctor to the oncology doctor without. So and for from, me, this when is that happens important. from the patient standpoint, it's a hassle. Like you don't remember all the stuff. Well, and it could be deadly. Right. It's more than a hassle. It's dangerous, right? It is. I mean, you really want to collect all that information. You want to make sure that you know all the medications that your parents are on right. when they're in the hospital, because they usually forget to mention one or two, right? right? Unless they bring them all with. That's why most providers or physicians say, bring all your medications so we can figure out what you're on. Uh -huh. So, yeah, but eventually, I mean, that would be the goal. You have an electronic medical record that could get accessed anywhere. And we're starting to do that now with this particular vendor that we're working with where we can exchange records. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, families have to give permission for that, but if they give permission, we can access records if they were seen at another hospital and then continue on the care. And that probably Shepherd's. saves money, like not repeating tests and things like that, that maybe you already have the data you need. Absolutely. And just look at care coordination and stream of care, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, it's absolutely amazing what's coming. And I, for one, I'm probably maybe a little quicker than some to give up a little bit of privacy or visibility into my life. But I, I think it's going to be cool that, you know, you're going to have your, your, your coffee machine is going to say, Stone, you're, you're getting a little fat, buddy. You know, I know you were going to eat a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich this afternoon, but maybe you shouldn't. And you're going to have all those things monitoring you. And then when it is time to go to the eye doctor, uh, you know, don't worry, Stone. I've already emailed your records to the eye doctor. You know, the microwave is telling you this. I mean, this is coming, right? It is. It this is. is. Not a science you, fiction you, dream. You can see it with all the um, fitness apps and other applications right. that are out there. That you know, I'm wearing my oh, you fitness have app. Now, yes. What, all right, so tell us, tell us what this thing does. This um, monitors my steps each day. It monitors how many. Um, minutes of exercise I've that? done. Uh, wow. I can program it for sleep to monitor how much mm -hmm. sleep I get every day. I can even, this is a little bit still manual, but I can record what I eat and it'll monitor my calorie intake. Wow. I have it synced to my iPhone. I have it synced to my um, scale. So my weight is um, tracked. And right. I, is and it, it changing your behavior, though? <laughs> uh, actually, it does. You know why? You because go. you get motivated as you see, oh, I didn't get enough minutes of exercise in today. Maybe I should go out and take a walk tonight and, and you know, get a little more exercise. So, yeah, it does. It, you know, it's feedback, and you start seeing. But that, are those kind of devices, are doctors using those kind of devices to help them help the patients? I think we'll get there. We're not too. there yet? I, well, we could be in some practices. I, I, I can't really speak to that. But if I was a physician and I was uh, treating someone for obesity I would, right. and they had that, that You'd would be... You'd recommend that? And yeah. then if they would share that information with the doctor, then the doctor could know if they're being compliant in the exercise program. Maybe they... they yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. At the very least, going full circle back to the what I call human being training for the doctors. If nothing else, your doctor that knows you're kind of into this and that you're paying attention to it, he or she should at least incorporate into their visit, hey, tell me about the gizmo. How, what, what are you tracking? So that at least they're connecting with you at that level, whether their practice is formally. And then, you know, the doctor across the hall might be the doctor's practice is giving those things out even. So mm -hmm. you, all the way up and down the continuum. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a time. lot. There's a lot out there. Yeah, I mean, digital health is a whole field in and of itself. Right. It's getting exciting, huh? Yeah, it is.
All right. Before we wrap, what can Lee do to help? Uh, <laughs> what's the website for the <laughs> yeah, What's the website? Oh, uh, LurieChildrens.org. LurieChildrens.org. And that's the best way to learn more about opportunities to uh, become more educated about the needs, to, uh, to perhaps make a, a donation, to be aware of the facilities should uh, someone that's close to us, uh, particularly a, a, a child, that's where we get all of our information. You can go there and you can find a wealth of information, get information on um, to find a doctor, to, to make an appointment. All of that is available there at the website. We're also on Facebook, like every right. other company. Oh, very <laughs> impressive. Well, Diana Halfer uh, with the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Uh, what a delightful conversation. Thanks for coming by and visiting with us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, you keep up the good work, okay? Okay, will do. <laughs> Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor and everyone here at the Business Radio X family. Say we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com. 